I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today I've got two extremes for you. We're going to hear from trumpeter Jeff Oster, who has a new album out of lo-fi ambient jazz. It's called Howling Loon. Except for his trumpet, it's all in the box of his computer. Then we remember Al Petaway, a great guitarist who has many solo albums out, as well as a wonderful duo with his wife, mandolinist Amy White. He created a personal kind of folk-based acoustic instrumental music, definitely not in the box of his computer. Al left the planet on September 25th after an attack by an aggressive form of cancer. He was only 71. I'm going to go back to an interview with him and Amy from 2005 when they also played live on the show. That's all coming up. Have you been wanting to represent Echoes by rocking out in Echoes gear? Well, not only do we have the t-shirt, lots of other items that have the Echoes logo so you can show the world where the chill resides. There's sweatshirts, hoodies, insulated mugs, and more. Go to echoes.org, click on store, and select new products. All kinds of cool stuff there, including a Christmas ornament, and that is coming up. Go to echoes.org, store new products at echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. And now, let's hear Jeff Oster talk about his lo-fi music, also known as study music. There will be a test afterwards. The sound of trumpeter Jeff Oster is very distinctive. You can hear him playing soulful, elongated melodies on his own records like Surrender and Release with the group Flow or the trio with Will Ackerman and Tom Eaton. He often plays flugelhorn to make it even more serene and emotional. But now he has a new release called Howling Loon that takes a radically different direction. In my 1993 interview with producer, musician, and overall savant, Brian Eno, he made this prediction. A message to high-end audio lovers. <laughs> Don't expect too much high-end in the future of music. People are going to be experimenting with texture and uh, with a sort of retro approach to recording. That prediction has held true across the following two decades and is one of the underlying themes of Jeff Oster's Howling Loon. So this is like a combination of really simple lines and sort of a Pink Floyd vibe to it where there's like, you know, soundscapes and little voices and things that are sort of found sound in a way, you know, not slick. Plus they overlay literally tracks that have vinyl crackle on them. Six. 
This is quite a shift for Jeff Oster, whose music is usually recorded in acoustically tuned studios with expensive microphones and state-of-the-art equipment. And not this album. Loon was all done here in Winnipeg in this little living room basically which is crazy completely different didn't go to a big studio didn't have any other musicians come play overdub which is normally what I'll do I'll make the parts up on my garage band system but this one I guess in keeping with the lo-fi vibe I recorded it right here in this living room with this little SM57 beta $160 microphone <laughs> into my uh, laptop I'm speaking to Jeff on the Riverside app, looking at that same microphone. Although he's balding, Jeff looks younger than his 66 years with glasses, a trim shading to white beard, and wearing a black crew neck jersey. His new album comes at something of a break in the musician's life. My life has changed quite a bit in the last year. In August of 2022, I got in a 1999 Jeep Grand Cherokee that I bought and I drove out of the Bay Area. I've lived there for 20 something years and I left California and my intent was to move in with a woman I had met in Mexico. Uh, she's a Canadian though. So I was driving up to Winnipeg and on the way there basically found out that she got this uh, ovarian cancer diagnosis, which immediately changed everything. He's stuck in Canada. His new girlfriend, Petra, has cancer, and he's experiencing the joys of a Winnipeg winter. It's almost legendary, the Winnipeg winter time here. It's like 40 below centigrade almost every day, or 30 below. Like, you know, it's like always freezing cold. So you stay inside, and it gets dark at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it doesn't get light until 10 in the morning. set up though and he was ready to go but he didn't have a concept for a new album until someone told him of this relatively new genre. I distribute my music through Dash Go and Downtown Music and there's a gentleman there named Rod Linham. Rod's been in the business forever and his focus within Dash Go has been lo-fi music. They have the rights to the Miles Davis catalog so they just released this year lo-fi versions of Miles songs. And he started to talk to me about this. He goes, do you know what lo-fi music is? I said, no, never heard of it once. He goes, I think you would be good at it. So he sent me a playlist and I started listening to it. I said, huh. This is a track by a lo-fi artist called BDSD.U called French Inhale. It's on a Spotify lo-fi playlist.
I went online and started looking for stuff. I bought like five or six sample packs that you can get that are lo-fi sample packs that are drum beats and you know different kinds. And then there's a sax clips and guitar clips and all very lo-fi. So I just sat here with GarageBand and I made these tracks up. I made like nine of them, added my horn parts to them, you know, and some lot muted and all this work started to happen in the middle of the Winnipeg winter. sonic tidbits like voices from movies. Let's try something different this time. I want to try every drink there is in the world. And children playing. It allowed me to dive into my whole Pink Floyd world where I could find these old movie clips of people talking and little snippets of like people laughing. I mean, there's in the song, Hello, for example, there are these little kids at the very, very beginning that you hear them going, hello, hello. That's from a German amusement park where little kids stand in front of a cave where the wizard is supposed to live. So I put that in the front and there's like radio chatter in the background, you know, difference, all that stuff. So it's perfect for me. I love that stuff. Jeff Oster is the only live musician on the album. You hear a saxophone that sounds like it's answering Jeff's trumpet lines. It's not a live musician. People have said, who's playing the sax? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The songs are short, which apparently is a formula for lo-fi. Lo-fi songs are not supposed to be longer than three minutes. It's a rule. Like I submitted one or I played one for my distributor. He goes, it's three minutes, 20 seconds. No. I said, what do you mean? No, it's a complete song. No, you have to make it shorter. The longest song on the album is two minutes and 59 seconds. In many respects, this is music by formula. It's maybe not as exacting as composing in classical sonata form, but pretty close. And with the lo-fi genre, it's like you have a, an intro of some kind, and then it sort of comes into the full song, and everything repeats. Like every melody line that you start with, you hear it again and again and again, and then something comes on top of it. And then they drop everything out in the center of a minute into the song, or a minute and a half, drop it out. And then there's something left, which has always been a little bit like how I've done my new age stuff. Uh, you know, I have these center spacey parts and then go back into whatever melody line that I had. Mm-hmm. 
While Jeff Oster is usually heard playing flugelhorn, he mostly blows on trumpet on Hallelujah. Yeah, super true, super true. And muted trumpet, yeah. Very different. It's almost always on top of everything else, you know, the backbeat and stuff like that, with a little tiny line, horn line of some kind, or a keyboard line, or guitar line, or something like that. So it, after a while, it gets to be kind of the same-ish in a way. But it's also, again, it's so weird. It's just designed not to stand out. And literally, study music. If you call out too much, if you make it too busy, or if you make it too much of a melody line, a hook, it's not it's supposed to even be a hook. You're not supposed to even listen to it, really. First of all, it's called study music, and kids intentionally have it in the background, basically, to study to and not really listen to. Jeff has Howling Loon listed in Spotify under his name, but also under Howling Loon, and the audience could not be more different. I look at the demographics of Howling Loon, and it's 70% are between 18 and 30 years old of the listeners. There's 1% like above 60 years old. When I look at the Jeff Oster account, it's almost the opposite. You know, it's like it's like from 40 to 65 plus is like 70% of the people. There's hardly anybody 18, 20, 25. So it's been quite a, a revelation and, and quite of an expansion a little bit of my world in this way, you know. Ironically, although the music is lo-fi, Jeff has a version on iTunes mixed in the surround sound format of Atmos, the most high-end audio there is. You know how I keep saying it's like Pink Floyd, like there are these little moments, these little people talking in the background kind of a thing, right? Atmos actually is pretty cool for that kind of stuff because the person can be behind you and then, and, and, you know, the main information sort of sits in the front stereo field, you know? Jeff Oster has paid his dues in music, working for most of his 60-something years, and now he's working with kids. I mean, I'm dealing with a kid. I'm going to release a remix of one of these songs on the 29th of this month. He's 17 years old in high school in Hawaii. So I'll say, well, can you send me the tracks? He's well, you know, I'm studying for my final. You have to wait until I'm done with my homework, you know? And I'm like 66 years old, and I'm like, wow, okay, sure, very good. Jeff Oster isn't about to throw on a hoodie over his anime graphic t-shirt and fashion-torn jeans, but this musician is still exploring, and his girlfriend Petra is doing fine and in remission. Jeff Oster's album is Howling Loon. I will have a link to Jeff Oster's Howling Loon in the posting for this podcast. That posting will also include a playlist of his feature. It's at echoes.org. 
In the late 1970s and into the 1980s, a new style of acoustic music emerged. It was based in folk music, but it was instrumental. There were elements of classical, jazz, and world music, but it remained largely uncategorizable unless you wanted to call it New Age. Al Petaway and Amy White are children of this development. Petaway had been making guitar-based instrumentals since the late 1980s, and around 1995, he was joined by Amy White. Now Al Petaway has plucked his final string, dying from esophageal cancer on September 25th. In 2005, the duo came to Echoes to perform music off their album Winter Tidings for our seasonal show that year. We also talked to them because it reveals not only their beautiful music, but their deep relationship. Going back to 2005, Kimberly Haas goes to Appalachia with Al Pitaway and Amy White. Al Petaway and Amy White moved to rural North Carolina a while back, escaping the city life of Washington, D.C., where they'd spent virtually their entire careers. They traded urban stress for the wilderness, and they say it's affected their music. Well, it's very much inspired by a visual, especially this this last album is very much. Our mountains are there, our bobcats there, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, things like animals will will suggest a, a certain galloping cadence or something playful. So, yeah, it's, it's all intertwined. Musicians always say that, so we ask Al Petaway to pick up his guitar and play an image. Say, for instance, his journey this day to the studios of Echoes. Oh, <laughs> okay. Let's see. sort of a driving sound, you know, you might feel like you're moving with that sort of thing. Petaway and White are kind of on the spot here, but give them a few moments of reflection, and they'll emerge with the pastoral but epic landscape of a song like Swananoa. Swananoa is the name of the mountain range we're in, Swananoa Mountains, and below us, obviously, would be the Swananoa Valley, and through that is a river, Swananoa River, and last year we had the, uh, you know, two weeks apart, we had the 100-year hurricane or whatever, the 100-year flood after the hurricane. Twice in two weeks, yeah. And um, so I had, I had been writing this, getting this idea for a tune about the river, which was sort of a languid, nice, slow, pretty thing. And then um, after the floods, when it destroyed everything in the valley, you know, it, it, it evolved into this sort of upbeat kind of thing that was more hectic, you know. Hectic <laughs> starts <eddies>. off, <laughs> Yeah, it starts off real lazy and, and as Amy says, meandering, you know, which is... <laughs> Well, that's what, what a river they do. does, yeah. <laughs> and then it ends up in this sort of fast, hectic pace. Petaway smiles amiably behind wire-rimmed glasses, his face framed by long curly brown hair, which is only a touch shorter than the strawberry blonde cascade that falls over Amy White's shoulders. After 10 years together, Amy finishes most of Al's sentences. 
Meeting in the D.C. folk scene, their personal relationship developed into a musical one, and they soon married and began recording together, beginning with their debut, Racing Hearts. Petaway was already an established guitarist with several recordings out when he and Amy started playing together. He was a rocker turned folky. He got into Celtic music after he was called to loan an instrument to a pair of British folk guitar icons, John Renborn and Bert Yash. Mary Chapin Carpenter brought one for Bert Yash, I brought one for John Renborn, and we just sat there in the audience watching them, and I thought, this is beautiful music. I, you know, I would love to do this. And so I had been messing around with open tunings, and I went back and showed John some of the things I had been playing, and he immediately said, are you going to record that? And I said, well, I hadn't thought about it. And with my luck, a guy standing behind me owned a recording studio and said, I'll front you the time if you, you, know, you want to do it. So that's how that all got started, you know. Amy White came from a musical family. Her father was a wind player in the National Symphony Orchestra, and her mother was a singer. White started out on piano, but could pick up just about anything with strings. Well, it was actually a joke, practically. When my father would go on tour with the National Symphony, you know, it's like, okay, bring me back a stringed instrument. So he brought me a charango and different things. And when my sister uh, went to Russia for a year, she brought me back a balalaika. And so as soon as I get these instruments, I write tunes on them, and they all ask for different tunes. a reputation in the Celtic community, but since moving to North Carolina, they've been discovering the connection between Irish music and Appalachian music. Now we're finding the big, the full circle connection between the Celtic and the Appalachian and back again, you know. I guess one of the things that draws us really is the kind of the modal, the accidental music, the stuff that's got a little bit of sadness to it. Petaway and Amy White make a music that is hard to categorize. They won over 50 Whammy Awards, the Washington, D.C. version of the Grammys, and would still be winning them if they hadn't moved to North Carolina. Many of their Whammies have been in the New Age category, which is the price you pay for making melodically inviting, meticulously crafted music that seems to emerge like wildflowers in the forest. We were happy that we were included in any kind of category. Our music is not really easy to categorize. People when you say new age, they think of synthesizers or something, and, or like a wash. When, when really new age, you know, that's where you would find Michael Hedges or any right, of these well, other... for me, it's the heyday of the, the beginning of Wyndham Hill. Right. You know, it's Michael Hedges and Alex DeGrasse and George Winston. It was just, it was the beginning of that sound. It was, was kind of like the impressionist folk, if you will, you 
Al Petaway and Amy White's latest album is Land of the Sky on Maggie's Music. When they aren't out touring, you can catch them at home in North Carolina, watching bobcats and black bears prowl their deck. For Echoes, I'm Kimberly Haas. Al Petaway, he passed on September 25th. It's a great loss, and my sympathies go out to his wonderful wife, Amy White. You can read her beautiful and tragic obituary for Al on both of their Facebook pages. That interview was conducted by me, and I was also the producer, writer, and editor. On next Tuesday's podcast, I've got a wonderful interview with Mimi Page. We featured her on uh, Echoes a few weeks back, but you're going to hear the complete interview, and that will be up in the Echoes podcast next Tuesday. And remember, you can make a donation to Echoes and the Echoes podcast at echoes.org. Just hit the support tab at echoes.org. Org. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want.